All right. Good morning, everybody. Man, I don't think much needs to be said about that. I just feeling groovy. Are you feeling groovy? Tell you what, that was awesome. Wanna wanna just say thank you. Uh, so much to all the kids as well as to uh, our children and family team, Amanda and Jamie and all our volunteers. Uh, so much of what they do every week is behind the scenes and they do not get thanked or appreciated enough. We do our thing in here, but we kind of forget all the things that are going on, both upstairs, classrooms, downstairs, over here. They do an incredible job of pouring in and loving our kids with the love of Jesus. Can we thank them one more time? So maybe, absolutely. You bet. I'm, uh, I'm watching all our amazing kiddos up here with this, this true depiction of the Christmas story. Uh, you know, maybe slightly tweaked a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm watching all of them, and, I, and I'm reminded that nothing could be more important than developing a foundation of faith for our kids. The things that we learn and the things that we discover in those early years are so important, and that's why we love kids here at Hope, and that's why we take what we do with children's ministry so seriously, because they are a gift from God, and we believe that their safety is so important, not only physically, that's not only why we take all the procedures that we do to make sure that you get reunited with them every Sunday, that they're safe, but also safe spiritually, that this can be a place where they are pumped to come back to week after week. In fact, I was in a random meeting this week and it happened to be with uh, the director of our uh, New Horizons preschool at Hope and uh, we were talking to her kind of about what her vision is for three and four-year-old preschool and I was kind of relating it into my mind of how we care for and love kids here at Hope Des Moines and she said, our goal is to love these kids with the love of Jesus so well just to love them up every single day that they're here so that they cannot wait to come back, so that they're ready for school, and that that idea of school, by the time that they get to kindergarten, first, second grade, that they are so in love with that idea of school, because this is where I am loved, that they couldn't wait to go to school. And I was thinking about that in a similar way for us. Like, yes, we want to prepare them from school, but ultimately, we want to build a foundation of faith in these kids' lives that they got to dance to music two decades before they were born, uh, but I got to wear a funny hat in church, and I got to sing and dance and have a blast, and whatever they're doing up there right now, having a party for Jesus, that they are so fired up that they get this idea in their heads that church is a blast, that there is nothing better, so that when they grow up and they become students, and when they're 16 and they're too cool for everything, that even then, even then, they will love church that they will see it as a get-to, not a got-to. All the things that we try to kind of undo later on in life, some of us that have maybe had a bad experience with church or whatever that is, if we can start building in those foundations now, we're one step ahead of the process. And God can do that in our lives. And what that takes, though, is adults that are willing to invest, that are willing to say, oh, they're not just the church of the future, they're the church of now, amen? They're the church of today. And we can learn a lot from kids. Christmas is about an infant, by the way. We can learn a lot from kids. That's why Jesus lifts them up and says, this is what it looks like to have faith, by the way. It's, oh, the cute kids, they did their little program, now back to the adult stuff. Did you soak it in this morning? Did you breathe it in? God's doing something in their hearts, and, and you can be a part of that. That's why when we talk about adding Hope Kids at 11, it's so that more kids can experience that same love every single week. And so be praying about that. 
Be praying about what God might be leading you to do and how you can help with that. It's not rocket science. If you love Jesus and you love kids, you're qualified. And we would love to have you be a part of that. God loves you so much, and that's the message of Christmas, that he sent his one and only son. He sent his one and only son to be born as a baby, but that he did not stay a baby, that became a man and is our Savior. It's such a simple message, and yet in the way that he came, it was so profound. I want you to imagine with me this morning that you are the God of the universe. That's kind of a scary thought, I know. Uh, So imagine that you're the God of the universe, and for thousands of years, you have been planning this invasion into enemy territory. You have been planning this invasion into the world, and you have everything at your, I mean, you're God. You can do whatever you want, so you could come to this earth in whatever way you want to defeat evil, to bring light into the darkness, to rescue your people from sin. Nothing is impossible for you. No strategy is off limits. You could come and and with the angels and the armies of heaven and kick out the Romans and just be done with that whole thing Uh, for your people. You could open up the sky. You could have a, a huge thunder and lightning storm and speak through the clouds and scare everybody and you could do anything you wanted. And so I want you to imagine what this master plan is. So one day, God comes to the angels. He gathers everybody together in the courtyard of heaven, and the angel's like, oh, this is it. We've been waiting thousands of years. How is he going to do it? How is he going to rescue the world? And God says, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come on, come on in. Here's how I'm going to do it. Okay, you ready for this? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to become an infant, and I'm going to be born helpless and weak and completely dependent on a 16-year-old girl. And that's what I would imagine the reaction of all the angels would have been, like crickets in the room, right? What is he thinking? You're God. You can do anything, but wouldn't it be just like God to create a story, an underdog story, to create something that seems so impossible and yet prove time and time again that nothing is impossible for God? Nothing is impossible. I was working online this week, and I came across this old uh, Adidas commercial, sporting goods, sporting apparel commercial starring Kevin Garnett, who's an NBA basketball player right now. And this is from several years ago, but they had this campaign, this marketing theme. And I want you to watch this commercial and say, what does this have to do with the story of Christmas? What might that remind us of? Watch particularly at the end what the words, the slogan is that pops up on the screen and thinking about a God who can do the impossible. Let's take a look. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty creative job by them. How funny is that? But what grabbed me is that slogan at the end. Did you see that? What was it? Impossible is nothing. We always say it, nothing is impossible, right? Nothing is impossible for God But have you ever thought about impossible is nothing? This is the same God that in Scripture that he says, for darkness is light to me. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And if you think that something in your life is impossible, well, God says, that's my department then. Because some of you are living your life like Kevin Garnett, and you think you have to carry the whole wide world on your shoulders. And the gift of Christmas is that God says, I'm stepping into your world, and I'm going to carry that for you. You were never meant to have the whole world in your hands. He does, and he's capable of doing the impossible, particularly for you, and in our story today, for the parents 
of our Savior. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. We're just going to dive into this quick today uh, as we have a little bit shorter time. But here's the thing. We move so quickly to Luke chapter 2. That's the Christmas story. That's the one you hear on TV all the time, recited, and it's almost just kind of become, well, everybody knows that story. Don't skip Luke chapter 1. Don't skip this story. There's some really good things going on. And we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Some of you are like, oh wait, wait, time out. I kind of arrived at this movie 20 minutes late here. Who's Elizabeth? So Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Elizabeth is going to be the mother of John the Baptist. You ever heard of him? Okay, so they're cousins. Elizabeth is Mary, Mary's cousin. So God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in the region of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was... Mary. So if you look at the story today, there's a couple things. There's three things I want to highlight in this story about Mary today. And the first one is, this story, Mary's life, could not be more ordinary. First of all, we read that Mary is from Nazareth, which all things considered, not today, it's a little bigger, but in those days, Nazareth was about as obscure of a place as you could possibly think of. I think about where I grew up in Story City. Anybody ever heard of Story City? Okay, it is the center of the universe, by the way. You should have heard of it. Um, all all 2,700 of us uh, in Story City. But there are some towns around us that are really, really small. I mean, have anybody heard of Randall? Yeah, okay, good. You know, yeah, some Randall, Randallites in here today. Uh, the center of town, the highlight is a pop machine. And if you blink, you might miss it. I mean, I'm nothing against Randall. There's just some really small towns like that that you would say, nothing significant ever happens in that town. That's Nazareth. That's Nazareth. So the most insignificant place that you could think of. The second thing that we know about Mary in her ordinary life is that she is not only a woman, she is a young woman. She's probably between 14 and 16 years old, they thought. And it was normal in those days, don't be freaked out by this, for girls that age to be married to older men. That was normal, so don't be scared of that. But she's probably 14, 15, 16 years old in those days, Children, not so significant. She's from Nazareth. She's a woman. She's a teenager. And I have to imagine that in this, think about Mary's scenario here. I am engaged to Joseph, and the only way that I'm ever going to have any safety and security in this life is to get married in those days. And my job in life is going to be to be here in Nazareth to probably pick grain 14 hours a day in the fields, to keep our house clean, to support Joseph and maybe some kids later on, and nothing could ever happen to change that. Life is pretty ordinary. And I imagine that Mary has this view of where her life is headed, and it just seems like this never-ending cycle. Parents, you know what this is like. Doesn't life seem like a never-ending cycle sometimes? Right? We get up, we change some diapers, we clean some poop, we get the kids to school, we come home, we do it again, we feed them, we go to bed, we crash. Sometimes that's what parenting can feel like, and I imagine that's what Mary's picture of her life is headed. Life is pretty ordinary, and, we, and I wonder if at some point Mary thought, this is the way things are always going to be. This is the way life is. And if we're not careful, I believe that you and I do the same thing sometimes. Whatever your circumstances are, that you and I just say, well, this is my lot in life. This is it. 
surviving another week at work. Always, I'm always going to be searching for love. I'm always going to be trying to keep the kids under control. I'm always going to be trying to be a better Christian. For the rest of my life, I'll just try to keep my act together. And maybe we even wonder, I guess this is all there is to knowing God. This is my current experience of who God is. And so this is what Christianity is. This is the way that things are. What a dangerous thought. Because what if God is saying to you today, if I can show up in Nazareth to a teenage girl who feels like her life is stuck, what part of your life is too mundane or too inaccessible for Christmas to invade it and change it? As I listen to people, especially in the church, I wonder if the biggest danger and hear me say this correctly, I wonder if the biggest danger to our spiritual lives is not immorality, is not addiction, all those things are serious and they are terrible. But I wonder if the biggest barrier, I wonder if the biggest danger to our spiritual lives is forgetting what God is capable of, is having a small view of God. The day that you and I wake up and stop having a holy anticipation for what God is going to do next. I mean, do you? What if every day could be like Christmas morning? I'm not saying happiness, that's circumstantial. I'm talking about a deeper kind of joy. But are you able to wake up every day with a holy anticipation? Because God is this big, and my life is this big. And so I'm not going to try to put God in a box. Do you wake up with a holy anticipation? What, what's God going to do? Or is it, well, it's about time to head off church. About time to head off to, I don't know, you're a cowboy or something, you know. <laughs> I don't know why, I always go into a southern accent when I do that. But like, just sort of like that ho-hum mentality. Like that is not what we see in the Bible. And I listen to people say that all the time. And do you really believe that there is something in your life that God can't do? You really believe there's something that's inaccessible for him? The God who became a God, who became a baby and was born in a feeding trough. And you say, oh, you know what? I bet you can't fix my marriage. The God of the universe can become an infant and be born to a virgin, but he can't fix my finances. Like, do we really want to put God in that kind of a box? I don't think so. So back to the story, Luke chapter 1. For Mary, everything was about to change. We pick up the story in verse 31. The angel Gabriel comes to her and says, okay, before I read this, Mary is a virgin. That means that her and Joseph, the kids are gone, her and Joseph have not held hands together yet. So, okay, just put yourself in Mary's shoes, okay? Now, an angel of the Lord appears to you. You're 15 years old. You're a virgin. And now you hear this. You will conceive. Okay. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, for he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. You don't even get to name him, Mary. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Kind of hard to put on a birth announcement, don't you think? We're expecting God. He's going to be the king of the world, you know. 
kind of a big deal here at our house. If I marry in this position after I gather my wits about me and I pick myself up off the floor from shock, I have to believe that my response would be, right, good one, Gabe, right, really good. That's, you know, you're kidding me. Stuff like this doesn't happen to me. And I imagine your response would be the same, but instead, watch how Mary responds. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Not a normal response for a teenage girl, but you can tell in Mary's response, there is a posture of her heart that is surrendered to God, that whenever God comes and says, I want you to do this, even if it's outside of her box of how God can fit, she says, okay, Let's do it. Is your heart fully surrendered to God this Christmas? You know the song, let every heart prepare him room. Are you ready for Christmas? Is your heart surrendered? And later on after Mary goes and she needs some girl time with Elizabeth, so she goes and talks to Elizabeth about this deal. So I'm pregnant, but it's not Joseph, and I, you know, this sounds like a Jerry Springer episode to me, right? So... (laughs) Verse 46, she's talking to Elizabeth, and at the end of that, look, look at what, where her heart is at. Let's read this together up on the screen. Verse 46, let's read it together. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Wow. In the midst of everything, Mary rejoices in the unknown. That's the second thing we got to know about Mary. She learns to rejoice in completely unideal circumstances. Now, hear me say this. She's not rejoicing for these circumstances. She's rejoicing in the circumstances, in the midst of them. You can have joy in the midst of unideal circumstances. So just picture the story here. Mary has no idea what this meant. She could not fathom what she's going to have to face. There's no no mommy and me club for moms with kids named God, okay? You're going to stick out a little bit. And not only that, Mary is now an unwed teenage mother. And I have to imagine that the criticism and the judgmental points and the judgmental glares are going to come. And wait a minute the man you're engaged to is not technically the father? Like, imagine how that conversation first went between Mary and Joseph, right? Mary comes, uh, honey, I'm pregnant. Joseph's like, what? Who's the father? Would you believe the Holy Spirit? You know, like, how does that conversation go, right? So now here's Joseph trying to maintain some sort of reputation in town, And this teenage girl that he just got engaged to is pregnant, but we don't know who the father is. So both of them are going to publicly face shame and humility. They have no idea what's coming their way. Can you imagine? They're the disgrace of the town. And if I'm Mary, I'm thinking, why me? Mary has every right to be bitter, and yet she chose to rejoice to find great joy in the midst of unideal circumstances in her life. It is possible. Is it possible for you 
to have joy this Christmas season, even if whatever that is for you, if we haven't got there yet, can you find joy in the not yets of life? When you find yourself in a situation that is beyond your control, are you okay? Can you be okay? And I was thinking, who, who knows how to do this better than anyone? I mean, there's Mary. She knows how to rejoice in unknown circumstances and unideal circumstances. Who else really knows how to do that really well? And I couldn't help but think of our good friend Clark W. Griswold. So you, you, know, you know the story that Clark is up in the attic putting away a Christmas gift, and then his family just forgets about him, and they leave and they go shopping for the whole day, for the whole afternoon. And here's Clark stuck in a cold attic, right? The door is shut from underneath him. Now what do you do? Well, you get smacked in the face a few times, and then you say, okay, I'm here for a reason. What am I going to do now? Let's take a look. So it was almost a perfect Christmas, right? But in that moment, here he is. What would you do if you were stuck in the attic all day, right? He says, what am I going to do? And here's the thing, that whole movie, as goofy and as crazy as it is, do you know what the whole theme of that movie is? He's looking for the perfect Christmas. And he's trying to arrange every aspect of his life so it'll line up perfectly. And if I can just get this person in this circumstance and, and get my bonus check and whatever, he's trying to line up the perfect Christmas. And some of you are desperately trying to create that in your life today. If, if this family member could just get fixed and if they could just change, I could get my marriage better and get back on my feet and get this job and, and we get these relatives here and we can have that moment around the table, that moment around the tree, then Christmas will be perfect. And I wonder if instead of trying to force Christmas to be perfect this year, Jesus is looking at all of us to say, I divinely interrupted Mary's life and I want to divinely interrupt your life, and that maybe the way that you'll find your perfect Christmas is not in trying to force it to happen, but in along the way, God's going to come and he's going to show up. And it's going to be a perfect Christmas because you turn off the radio and you have a conversation with your kid in the car. It's going to be a perfect Christmas when you shut off the TV and talk to each other. It's going to be a perfect Christmas when you put your cell phone down for a few hours and be fully present with your family. It's going to be a perfect Christmas when you write that letter or make that phone call to your mom or your dad or to a family member or to a child that's grown up and moved away. You're not going to find it in trying to force it, Jesus says. Can you find joy in the not yet's of life. Some of us say, if I had better friends, if I had a better marriage, if I had a better job, if I had better small group, whatever it is. And when, we, when you and I lose our ability to find joy in the ordinary, we can become so jaded that we're convinced either life owes us something or life is out to get us. And neither are true. You know what's exhausting? You know what's an exhausting way to live? Cynical bitter, skeptical. Why? Because that's not what you were created for. Particularly, that's not what Christmas is about. You were made for so much more. And notice I'm not trying to say, well, just put on that smiley face and have a Merry Christmas. What I am saying is stop trying to force joy 
and let joy find you. Like really experience it. Like let his love all the way in this Christmas season. He hasn't let go of you and that's what Mary knew. Some of you were around a couple years ago when we did the story. Does anybody remember the story? It was kind of the chronological Bible and we learned that in every story in scripture there is an upper story and there is a lower story. Everybody say upper. Everybody say lower. The upper story is the story that God's telling, right? Noah, Noah and the ark, right? What in the world is going, uh, from a lower perspective, a guy's building a giant boat in a drought, right? In the upper story, God knew exactly what he was doing because a flood was coming, right? So in the case of Mary and Joseph, what is the upper story and what is the lower story? After meeting with Elizabeth, watch how Mary ends, this is called the Magnificat, Those of you that have Catholic friends that are formerly Catholic, grew up that way, this is a big deal. This is the version, this is her song. This is Mary's song, the Magnificat. And it ends with this, verse 54. She says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The last thing you've got to remember about Mary is that she embraced the upper story. In these completely unideal circumstances, God, you got me pregnant. And now I have to deal with the repercussions of that, with shame and humiliation and judgment. This is not what I wanted for my life. Do do any of you ever have that moment where you go, if I could just get back to childhood, if I could just get back to the way things were in high school, if I could just get back to the way things were in college, if I could just get, wait, before we had kids, if I could just get... And then your kids are out of the house and they're gone and then you wake up one day and realize, I missed it. Because I was always waiting for that next thing and I missed it. And I didn't see what God was doing in the upper story in my life. And Mary realizes, I'm not going to grow angry or bitter because I have connected these unideal circumstances of my life to the larger story that God has been telling since the beginning of time. And I realize that this baby in my womb is the Messiah and the answer to thousands of years of prayer and longing and waiting. That's Advent for us. But thousands of years of waiting for a Messiah, for God to come and rescue his people. And now for some reason he's choosing to use me. God, I want what you want. God, I want to get on board with your agenda. And parents, maybe you've realized this. There comes a point When God comes and you have kids and your life is forever changed, you have to say, this is the new normal. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, let's stop trying to get back to that and start asking God, what are you doing now in the new normal, in these new circumstances of my life? And that's why Mary was able to gain God's perspective. Throughout scripture, when God's people choose to see the upper story of what's going on, that's when you gain perspective. That's when you experience joy. That's when you experience peace. That's what's going to make it a perfect Christmas, even if it's not perfect. God's going to come and he's going to fill you with his joy. Mary asks God, what do you want to do through me now? Because I realize I'm a part of your upper, larger story, and I'm not going to grow angry, and I'm not going to go bitter and choose to see my life in a tiny little box. And if there was any doubt, if there was any doubt, 
that God is faithful, if there is any doubt that God knows exactly what he was doing, that baby did not stay in a manger but became a man who is our Savior, who died and on the third day came walking out of his own grave to remind us once and for all, impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing. That's the message of Christmas. It's not a ritual. It's not an old tradition. This isn't even about religion. This is God looking you in the eyes this Christmas and say, saying, don't miss it. I have more love for you than you will ever imagine. You can see it in the childlike faith of these kids, and you can see it in the infant that's lying in a manger for you this Christmas, who is your Savior. Find some joy in completely unideal circumstances and connect your story to God's larger story. He wants to have a relationship with you, and that's available for you today. We're going to have prayer partners up here afterwards as we do every single week. And if God's stirring something in you this morning, if he's tugging on your heart, come on up. Let's pray together. Why not Christmas? Let every heart do what? Prepare him room. Let's get ready for Christmas. I can't wait. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together.